that's been one of the highlights for me over this past 18, 20 months is just seeing that fundraising haven't just you know, sat back and, and rested on their laurels in really tough conditions when, you know, teams have been furloughed, resources have gone. They've actually said, well, look, what have we got in our control? What can we use that's around us that's new out there and actually generating some brilliant campaigns? So long may that continue, I think. Welcome to episode three of season four of Starts at the Top, our podcast about leadership, digital culture and change. I'm Paul Thomas. And I'm Zoe Ammer. Our podcast brings you interviews with leaders from the public, private and third sector who are using digital to navigate uncertainty and forge a path to the future. In this episode, we talk to Kenneth Foreman, Head of Charity Partnerships, and Stephen Foster, Director of Transformation at London Marathon Events, who give us a behind-the-scenes tour of what it was really like to run the marathon as a hybrid fundraising event for the very first time this year. Before we get to our interview, we usually dip into the latest round of tech developments. And uh, this last couple of weeks, the focus is squarely on Scotland and Glasgow for COP26. Uh, And on last week's podcast, we asked whether you, our listeners, were looking at the environmental impact of hybrid working. And I think we've, um, Zoe, decided that this week we should go into this in a bit more detail and talk about our own work. And, and you had a really interesting conversation last week. You shared a session at the Acevo conference. I did. Yes. So at the end of last week, I had the pleasure of chairing a session at the Akivo conference, Akivo Fest 21, if you want to look at any of the really interesting tweets that were coming out of that. And that session was with Avril Chester, who's chief technology officer at Reba. And she, along with her team, is working towards tracking the hidden carbon footprint of digital working, looking at the issues that we need to be aware of and how to uh, consider the environment in an age when all of us are working remotely a lot more. And I wanted to kick the conversation off just by sharing some quite shocking stats, which came from Avril's presentation and also some of the discussions we had around that. And then there's a resource that Avril and her team are working on that um, we can share with you in the show notes as well. So we'll tell you a bit more about that later. But new research shows that if you turn your camera off during a video call, such as this one, uh, you can reduce your environmental footprint in that meeting by 96%. 96%. I was just not aware of that. And that does make you think that the default of having your camera on rather than off should actually be the other way around. And then a stat that I heard last week as well in the run up to the presentation, uh, which again was really shocking, a year of work emails for one person, just one person has the same emissions as traveling the entire central line 80 times. And that stat is from the heart of the city really really shocking Uh, so Avril and her team at Reba have produced a really good resource to help charities share their learnings on this topic and to find out more about how they can get started with it and it's in the form of a wiki so we will put that in the show notes it's incredible isn't it and I guess (laughs) mileage will vary but um, some work accounts so some work email accounts are probably even heavier than that Um, how many how many email addresses do you manage day to day I think I've got four. And then there's a couple of uh, Microsoft ones, actually, that I've got with clients as, as well. So as you, as you think about the volume of emails and all of that, yeah. and that's just an average. And I bet you and I get even more email, to be honest, because of the nature of the work that we do. 
Yeah, and it's always been, you know, it's it's not a change that has happened over the past 18 months, two years for us. We've we've been working remotely for a, a long time. So these these changes have affected us for for a while. I, I think the, and this this resource for for charities, I, I just wonder, I've been looking around this morning at some of the products and some of the big sort of corporations that I use. So for example, you know, all my work's done on uh, on an Apple laptop. Um, I have a, an, an iPhone. So looking to see what Apple are doing with their carbon footprint. And I think it's really easy, well, I'll say really easy, but it's easy for the big organizations like Apple Google the rest to to put lots of money and lots of resources into finding an answer for you know, combating their own carbon emissions. But what about charities? What about small organisations who might find this really really hard? What what sort of trends are you seeing in the advice that you're giving to clients, for example, around technology strategies? Well, I think the awareness of this issue is currently really low, which is why we want to, to talk about it today. And you're right, compared to perhaps other areas of the environmental agenda, say, you know, we've all been recycling for a long time, haven't we? And doing various things like being more mindful of how often we fly and things like that. But in terms of the actual carbon footprint of digital working, it feels like that's actually quite a new discussion uh, and where there's certainly a lot of potential to make a, a big difference. So I'm really looking forward to seeing more resources coming on stream for this. And and also I hope we can play a part in our podcast of of keeping this conversation going and shining a light on people who are doing really interesting work in this area. So if anyone's listening, has got some great suggestions of people we should be talking to in our next season, please let us know. And we should make a pledge now. I think um, I'm just thinking, I'm just looking at Zoom. I'm going to turn off my screen uh, because... We are uh, we are on camera, but I'm reading from notes as well. So we'll do that. Make sure that um, when we talk to our our guests, maybe there's an intro on video and everything else then happens um, off off camera. But I guess for me, I think there's there's obviously the, the stuff that we can do as organisations. And, and yeah, so video camera on and off um, reduction in email, making sure that as a as an organisation, as a business that. We have policies that address our carbon output, carbon footprint. I think it's 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 interesting, isn't it, that you know, with 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 COP26 being on the agenda, that we it still feels like a lot of this stuff is very, very early stage. For example, I was looking around for apps that would help me make better decisions when buying supermarket foods and and, and doing my shopping. And they're few and far between, and they're 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 sort of quite hit and miss in the way that they work. So for example, I downloaded something this morning called Evoco. So it's E-V-O-C-C-O. The idea of that is that you scan uh, your receipts into the phone from your supermarket shopping, and it will give you a, a sort of a rough idea of where the carbon footprint of everything that you you buy. That's not available on the Ocado app or on the shopping app, for example, where it might tell you that your buying comes in a plastic bag, but it doesn't tell you about the carbon footprint and the journey that that's been on. So it's it, for, for me, it's, it's, it's about the business efforts, but it's also about the personal efforts that we all make and, and trying to, to make those changes too. I think that's a really good point. And it would be great to see more uh, integrations as well as personal efforts. I know there's a a lot more certainly that I'm keen to be doing and also for our business to be doing as well. I mean, it would be so great, wouldn't it, if, for example, Zoom had a plugin where it would automatically tell you at the end of the call how much carbon had been generated. And then you could look at offsetting that or perhaps making a donation Mm. to an environmental charity. 
Yeah. And I also uh, downloaded because I remembered back in my corporate days, Grant Thornton was just starting to explore a browser called Ecosia. I'm not sure whether you've heard of that. It's a a browser search engine that you can use. They've got an app on the phone and on the, the desktop But that will also, it it tracks and shows how many trees that they're planting based on the amount of searches that are being done through the site. So replacing advertising revenue for for actually doing doing good. And I think I'm right in saying that Grant Thornton have actually made that their um, default corporate browser. So you can obviously choose something else if you would prefer to use something else, but that's a default. And one interesting stat that I thought was was just interesting was the the other one about, uh, about sort of changing habits in the home was a, a big um, there's a big conversation around streaming and video streaming and HD streaming and that sort of stuff and I just looked up um, Netflix and and what they're trying to to, to do they're, they're trying to beat the the deadline by changing their their policies to 2030 but um just interestingly of their entire carbon um, emissions 50 percent is the actual f- physical production of the shows so you know the the, the cast and, and crews getting together mm. to make these these programs 45 percent is through their corporate operations so how they actually pull all this together from a corporate point of view head offices buildings all that sort of stuff and only five percent is through content delivery through their platform open connect and and what they say there is that they they work with other organizations at the, the sort of the delivery end of that so tv companies and things like that in order to make sure that their supply chain is as as, as sort of um, uh, offset as possible but I imagined it would be much, much higher uh, than 5% through the actual content delivery, because I think that's the bit that we're all being challenged on, isn't it? That you don't have it on full HD or UHD, you know, use it at, at regular standard definition. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think what that's also made me think of is a conversation I was having with someone else recently about the carbon footprint of face-to-face fundraising and again if anyone's doing work in this area uh, we'd be really interested to to speak to you thinking about even just say running a fun run in your local park uh, or direct mail you know all those packs that come through the post I'm interested to hear if any charities are looking at the environmental impact around that as well so maybe that's also something to explore in our next season Definitely, definitely. Um, and I'm not I'm not going to tar them with this brush necessarily without looking into the detail. But uh, yeah, Bowden catalogues, they're through our door nearly every single day. So there, there must be a massive footprint for for paper production for some of the some of the businesses, particularly the fashion ones that seem to end up um, through our through our door. Um, anyway. I think the stat that I pulled out of the link that we'll, we'll share was that the carbon emissions associated with digital technologies have surpassed the aerospace industry. So it's absolutely clear that, that you know, we need to take this seriously. So I'm completely in agreement with you, Zoe, that we need to make this a regular spot on our, um, on our podcast. Definitely. So now for our conversation with Kenneth and Stephen from London Marathon Events Limited. We spoke to them last month. I think now, um, just after the the London Marathon had been run and we heard a lot about the success of the event. So we are very excited to welcome two special guests to start at the top today. Uh, Firstly, we're joined by Kenneth Foreman. Following his early career in commercial roles in technology startups, Kenneth moved into fundraising by joining Alzheimer's Research UK back in 2014. 
In the four years he was at the organisation, the income from sporting events increased by 300%, with Kenneth and his team developing award-winning virtual events and managing an exclusive partnership with Parkrun. In 2018, Kenneth moved to London Marathon Events to lead and develop a new team focused on working with over 2,000 charity partners across their portfolio of mass participation events, including the world's greatest marathon, the Virgin Money London Marathon, that since its inception has raised more than one billion for good causes. In his free time, Kenneth co-hosts a social impact focused podcast, which I've been lucky enough to be a guest on, Do More Good, interviewing a broad range of guests, all with focus on doing more good in the world. We are also delighted to welcome to the podcast Stephen Foster. He's Director of Transformation at London Marathon Events. He started his career at EY, where he trained as a chartered accountant before a move into strategy consulting. He then joined Nuffield Health, the largest trading charity in the UK, which he left after eight years as director of strategy and corporate finance. Following spells as an M&A consultant and CFO of a health tech startup, he joined London Marathon Events in 2019 as interim finance director before moving into his current role. He has two children, loves fitness, has completed multiple endurance events, including London Marathon twice, cycling unsupported from London to Gibraltar and completing a 100 mile ultramarathon in less than 24 hours. Kenneth, Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Zoe. Yeah, good to be here. So we're super excited to have you both here today, especially because uh, hot off the press, you have just had the latest London Marathon just a few weeks ago. Uh, So firstly, we'd like to hear how that went. Stephen, do you want to go first or are you still too tired from from the marathon? Which one? I'm just happy Zoe didn't say especially Kenneth, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought that's what she was going to say. Um, uh, Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I think we are maybe a little bit fatigued. you know, so the, the marathon is a big week, obviously, for organizations, single biggest event we have. We have several other events. You know, last October, when COVID hit, we had an elite-only event plus a virtual. This year was the first time we had both. So we had around 36,000 people, completely in-person event. It was just amazing, amazing to be back, amazing in the morning to sort of go on the closed roads as we're setting up. And there's a real palpable sense of excitement you get from the marathon. It's amazing for our staff. Yeah, to work away, to work remotely, everything we've done, I think to mark all of the efforts that have gone in the last 18 months. So yeah, it was amazing. We had around 22,000 complete the virtual event on the same day, Uh, literally 102, 101 different countries. So from Argentina to Zimbabwe, incredible. And then also we obviously had the ballot that week as well. So, you know, for us, the in-person event is awesome. It's, It's the culmination of our year, really. And it was amazing. Yeah, just London in a good mood. It's pretty, can't be beaten. Yeah, absolutely. I just echo everything that that Steve said there. It was just, especially from my point of view, getting to to work with the charities and having worked with them very closely over the last 20 or so months, just to actually be there on the day and on the finish line. And one of the lasting memories for me, I think, is just that experience of seeing so many people come over the finish line wearing the charity vests, having the names of the people that they were running for, you know, some people crying, some people sad, some people exhausted, some people jumping for joy. It, it just really shows what the the London Marathon is all about. And it's just such a special day. So, yeah, still buzzing from it, to be honest with you both. Amazing. It must have been really emotional to be back there doing it again after everything that's happened over the last 18 months. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, as Steve said, you know, we're an operational 
focused company right putting on events and putting on the london marathon is is what we do so you know all of the staff really kind of put in that grind throughout the year to to deliver event day to be there on event day and experience the emotion so it certainly felt like you know the end of a long road to actually get there again and 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 see people and you know we were really lucky the weather was fantastic it was sun shining you know there was maybe 10 minutes of rain on the day but it it was just it was just really special but you know it it it, it we start again we go again the, the the day after that we're all kind of ready back in on the monday starting to plan again for for what 2022 will bring and and delivering on the rest of our events straight after straight back in and and planning starts Exactly. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. I think one of the big and interesting things for me from working from a charity before coming into London Marathon is you, you know, what you see of London Marathon events is that the event delivery, the the on the day experience, you know, the BBC highlight show, the elite athletes, the, the, the charity runners. And you assume that when you get into the organization, it's all going to be as glitzy and as glam and as well organized. And, you know, of course, it is well organized, but there's a lot of hard work and a lot of blood, sweat and tears that goes into to putting that uh, on each day. So, yeah, it's it's special, but we've got a lot of hard work to continue to do. Yeah, I think when you work here as well, right, there's a there's, an, there's almost a big responsibility to be a steward of something. That, yes, we help facilitate here. And a load of people work really, really hard. And as Kenneth's point, yeah, the weather was good on the Sunday. For sure, our ops guys who were absolutely soaked on the Saturday night would not say the weather was good. But, but what makes it amazing it isn't really what we do. We do facilitate. But what makes it amazing are all of the stories who are people fin- finishing that line, why they're doing it, all of the crowds coming out, the support. That, that genuinely, it's so unique. And it's this amazing thing that, yeah, we're kind of sort of stewards of. But the magic is that all of those individual components and the marathon, London Marathon in particular, I think is, is really unique in that respect. Generally, you could feel it in the morning. You can feel something's happening when the roads are closing. You can feel it at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night when the last people are crossing that line as well. It is, is awesome. It's so good. And the noise from uh, certainly the WhatsApp, the charity WhatsApp group that I'm a member of, people sort of saying, where are you going? Which station are you going to be at? Where are you supporting from? It felt like a big sigh of relief for for the not for profit world from where I was sitting as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it, I think you're right, Paul. I think a, a sigh of relief to actually see an event of that scale return. I mean, you know, we all we all entered the the last few months kind of still concerned after what had happened in 2020 about you know is this really going to happen? Are we really going to be able to see people in the flesh and 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 experience and hear their stories? But you know, very quickly, it all it all felt very normal once again. And, you know, whilst we had to put in certain measures to, you know, reduce the risk and, and obviously look after the welfare of our runners and, and, and participants and spectators, it did feel normal. It did feel back with, like we were back, like we were back together. I mean, the, the, the campaign that we used for this year was We Run Together, which was really about, you know, the unity that, that the London Marathon and, and other mass events provide and, and and it's such an important revenue stream for for charities after as i say 20 months where it's been pretty difficult absolutely so one of the things we we did want to ask as well about how things have gone is do you have an idea yet of how much the event has raised or will that come over the next few weeks yeah i can pick that up we don't have a a, a figure at the moment um we do obviously work very closely with with virgin money giving who were our um title partner of, of the event and ran the fundraising platform obviously that comes to to, to an end in the, in the next couple of months 
I don't remember the exact figures, but I know that, that Marathon Day was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, that they'd had in terms of processing donations on, on Marathon Day, which, again, was just was just amazing. It was almost the cherry on the top of what was such an incredible day to see that the, the general public would get out and, and support people. And I'm sure, you know, the, the, the sight of people running around the Cutty Sark or, or over Tower Bridge and all of the emotion on the day on the BBC coverage, which was spectacular, certainly helped that. So, yeah, we don't know the figure at the moment, Zoe, but um, we'll be working over the next couple of weeks. And, you know, looking at what fundraising comes in, because typically 20, 30 percent of the fundraising from the marathon comes in after the event. So we'll be working with our charity partners to understand that figure and, and certainly kind of publicise that once we have it. Brilliant. We'll, we'll look out for that. And it's fantastic to hear about the amount of donations being processed as, as well. I mean, that's been one of the wonderful things that's come out of the pandemic, hasn't it? Again and again, the amazing British public defying those expectations of the fact that they're still being so generous, so supportive of charities at a time when a lot of people are, are, are finding things quite challenging. Yeah, I think there's an important closure for the people raising funds and running it as well. A lot of people who ran a few weeks ago will have originally signed up to run in April 2020. It's been fundraising for a relatively long period of time. And, and albeit they probably sort of, they'll probably raise the vast majority of what they've done around April time. It's really important closure for those people, I think, to have, have actually physically done the event. And as Kenneth's saying, so yeah, it's, you can do that closure piece wider, like COVID, you know, we've, we've been out of lockdown, back in lockdown, out of lockdown, back in lockdown, all that sort of stuff. As Kenneth said, we had COVID measures, but... I just think that closure and marking that for people and why they're doing it, the emotion's always high at the marathon because people are really tired and they're doing it for causes that are so close to their heart. Like that's the amazing thing about it. But I think maybe more so this year because it's been so hard. People trained probably for four months, paused, maybe trained a bit over the summer, paused again, you know, and then have trained again. Like people have been trained for a long time for this. So um, I think that helped just make it even more special. Or we just can't remember how special it is and it's always like that. Oh, it must have been a, a, a brilliant return. So, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for the results. It's really exciting and, and great to hear that it's gone so well. Uh, so, obviously, this is the first time that you guys were really running it as a hybrid event. Uh, and I know the dust is, is still settling on all of that. But um, what are your feelings on what you've learned so far from that experience? I mean, I think that there's a huge amount of learnings, uh, you know, we which which really started at the at the start of 2020 is, as we've already touched on, you know, 2020, when we were in that world of, of lockdowns in and out of lockdowns, is the marathon going to happen? Isn't isn't the marathon going to happen? You know, we felt as a real responsibility to the charities that we work with to try and support them during a time when, you know, some people were talking about a 10 billion pound deficit in fundraising you know as an events company as i've already touched on we're very great at operational delivery closing roads you know getting fifty thousand people through through the streets of london but you know digital and 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 virtual and, and hybrid events were something that was very new to us really new you know we'd never done anything like that before so with that responsibility we had and the fact that we were in lockdown we very quickly came up with a, a couple of concepts during 2020 that, that got us to now putting on hybrid events. The first one was the, the 2.6 challenge, which I don't know if either of you guys recall, but this was in April last year, which was a bringing together of a number of mass participation event companies and other partners to say, what can we do without the marathon this year to support the UK's charity sector who need our support now more than ever? 
And, and again, that was kind of real team and togetherness effort. It was a digital only product. So there was no actual event as such on, on the data experience, but we developed toolkits, we developed websites, collateral, and really used the power of togetherness to kind of push that message out there. And, and that went on to raise, I mean, 11.2 million, which was fantastic. And then when we knew that the, the, the London Marathon, the mass event wasn't going to happen and that we could still do the elite event in October, but we couldn't do the mass version, we quickly had to say, well, the virtual opportunity is is here for that. And we'd already seen a few of the, the, the charity sector um, applying to virtual events. I mean, I, I recall myself in my early fundraising career, you know, four or five years ago, we were doing virtual running events, but never having done one at London Marathon events, being an operational focused company, it was a real challenge. But that's why we, we looked to people like Steve and his, you know, digital knowledge and experience to try and motivate us to actually pull something together. And, and we actually ended up executing something which I think was, well, world record breaking in the end, right, Steve? Yeah, so like for, for I guess, the corporate speak, you know, it's it's a different proposition to, to the in-person event. You know, we, we had to do something last October and the virtual was was an amazing success last year. As Ken said, we had a Guinness World Record for the largest air virtual event. We then got a Guinness World Record for the number of people requesting their Guinness World Record certificates. You know, the engagement on, on the brand of London Marathon is awesome. Us as an organization, we exist really for two reasons, right? To, to generate profit for London Marathon Charitable Trust, who use that to provide donations, grants to inspire activity across the country. And we as an organization, i.e. London Marathon Events Limited, equally exist to inspire activity. So the in-person marathon is by far and away our biggest event. We have several other running events, Ride London, Swim Serpentine. But the marathon's the pinnacle. Like the experience is amazing. The virtual experience was really strong. We've had really positive feedback. So we have an app that plays the audio of mile six, Cutty Sark. You get the sound of Cutty Sark towards the finish line. You get commented on. And Chris, I think what that enables to do, the experience isn't as strong, but we can engage with far more people on that basis. It's a different proposition. It's not as high quality, but it's more accessible to a lot of people. I think the challenge with that though is it's really competitive. It can get stale really, really quickly. Talking about we don't we don't drive all the amazing experience of the marathon itself, the people supporting all that do. The virtual, we're far more responsible for what that experience looks like. Not with everything. There were crowds of people running with their green bibs on uh, last Sunday, and it's awesome. And I know people who get nods, and it's awesome. There are little pockets of what you get in the physical event. But for us, the ability to use a virtual to continue engaging it, be more innovative than maybe we've been in the past, enables us to impact and inspire activity plus offer a separate proposition to to what the marathon is so yeah it was successful but you know our numbers dropped for the virtual than they were last october and that's on us that's that's good for us as an organization to have to keep innovating and do new things as you said there's plenty of competition out there isn't there that's the that's part of the issue um when we yeah. when we spoke uh, to kenneth a couple of weeks ago so i just completed the uh, running down dementia challenge for for alzheimer's and the challenge I have is that um, I'd love to do another event. Uh, I'd love to do another fundraising activity, but you're going back to the same people to ask for for money again. So Man. there's a there's a side on the on on the participant that is like you said, it's it's a bit of closure because I was able to say it's two months. I'll do this, and you pay your money. But then with with um, with the the next step, it's yeah, as I said, just going back and asking the same people to to donate again, and and you sort of feel that that pull that says, well, actually, I'm not going to get away with it a second time. Perhaps I will, yeah. but there's the competition out there is strong. 
Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, and, and like other events, we you have the same medal and the same finisher T-shirt if you do the virtual or you do the, the in-person event. Again, if that may get stale, right? Certain people who just can't get into the bout or can't, don't have a network to meet what they need to meet for charity fundraising to run the event, get the physical London Marathon. But there's not a... There's not an infinite queue of people who would be like that. It needs to be engaging. It needs to be exciting. And it needs to be something that people can be talking about. So it's worthy of, of donation. I mean, running 26 miles is absolutely worthy of a donation for sure. Mm. But not for everybody, right? Like the second question you get asked now if you've done a London Marathon is what was your time? Whereas if you do an yeah. ultra now, an ultra marathon or something, you won't get asked that. You'd be like, that's incredible. That is outstanding. So there's almost a pressure that comes with the London Marathon that, you know, we need to, to manage as well. Just picking up on your point, Paul, about, you know, doing running down dementia and and now feeling like you've been out to your support base. You know, I think that's where we've seen charities really innovate in terms of what what is the ask. And, you know, I mean, there's been a plethora of amazing kind of virtual campaigns that have gone on this year. I mean, just reading some of the reports, I mean, you know, Guide Dogs, My Puppy puppy Run from, (laughs) My Puppy Run, that should have been Guide Dogs, but that was actually Royal British Legion. Uh, My Puppy Run, you know, gaming, I think Macmillan did a great campaign around gaming and virtually. So there's there is lots of innovation going on there. I know Facebook, again, I mean, how many times have you heard about huge success that some charities have had in, in, in Facebook? But ultimately, it comes down for experiences as fundraisers. And how can we make you, Paul, want to sign up for something to something else that means that you're going to go back to those people and ask you to donate again? And I think that's been one of the highlights for me over this past 18, 20 months is just seeing that fundraising haven't just you know, sat back and, and rested on their laurels in really tough conditions when, you know, teams have been furloughed, uh, resources have gone. They've actually said, well, look, what have we got in our control? What can we use that's around us that's new out there and actually generating some brilliant campaigns? So long may that continue, I think. Yeah, amen to that. So obviously everyone seems to be talking about hybrid at the moment, whether it's in the context of uh, fundraising events, whether it's ways of working, it really does feel like the the buzzword of 2021. Uh, So in the context of fundraising events, what would you advise any charities out there who have decided, right, we are going to go down this hybrid route? What would you suggest to them in terms of how they get started? I mean, I, I'll go first, Steve, if, if you don't mind. I mean, I think one of the great things around the charity sector is just the the togetherness and that people are always willing to share. So, you know, if there is a, a fundraiser, a director of fundraising or someone sitting in a, a role within a charity that, that thinks, you know, we need to do more in digital, there are so many people out there that would be willing to help and support you. So that would be my first thing. Talk to people. But also, you know, just see what digital touch points you see from your own experience. I mean, whether it's through social media, whether it's through your children and what they're experiencing, you know, there's so much now around us day to day in terms of digital experiences, digital life that there's there is ideas everywhere um so certainly try and kind of explore some things that are maybe outside of your comfort zone uh having a, an 11 year old daughter i've now got very proficient in the use of snapchat so you know what is how does that provide as an opportunity twitch and gaming for example again i've seen a massive bulk over the last year so again maybe explore it sign up play with it understand it and and then that will provide with some ideas but i think it's really just about not not resting on your laurels and and, and digital and, and innovation are often two words that are the loop together but there is real still significant opportunity out there for, for hybrid events bringing experiences together so yeah my message would be just just explore and talk to people who've maybe trodden that path before and, and give you some ideas I think you're way better 
place to talk specifically about charity from a digital perspective for me. I think there's almost a paradox of, okay, you have to innovate. It's going to get stale. You have to innovate and you have to be different. But at the same time, there's so much value in keeping things simple and making it easy for people. And if you do the basics really, really well, and that's from everything, right? Like the messaging of what you're trying to achieve to literally how do I sign up for this to how do I share it? That takes you massively down the road. And I think there's a, there's a risk of, okay, there's so many people doing hybrids. We're going to really, really do something innovative and become so complicated that fine, you, you and your organization may understand it because you live and breathe it every day. You have to find that balance between making it really simple and just do the basics super well and sprinkle a little bit of innovation on where you can. But first and foremost, don't, don't, um, yeah, don't buy your own hype around, okay, I get this, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It feels more uh, in- inclusive that way and, and, and keeps those barriers to entry low. So this leads us on very nicely to talking about where this fits into the context of your wider digital transformation. You've obviously been through uh, a year of change running the event as a hybrid for the first time. Um, where does this fit into your wider work around transformation? And, and Steve, I know you've been leading a lot of work in this area. Yeah, so, so also my role here is I lead our digital transformation. So you know, we started this pre-COVID. I could probably talk about this for two hours, right? So tell me to be quiet when I get there. But for us, digital transformation means four things. And it's relatively foundational. So sort our data out, first and foremost. Or if we do not get that platform right and sustainable, it, it's very, very difficult to grow and do successful things which are user engaging. So sort our data out, implement and optimize our CRM. So we deal with, what, over 2,500 charities. We deal with a vast amount of people registering for our events a single view of the customer we've struggled with in the past, all that sort of stuff. And, and that's kind of associated with data. So data, CRM, are completely rebuilding our websites on a platform called Sitecore. The reason why we chose Sitecore is because of the power of personalization. So we have different events, cycling, running, swimming. We, we have very, very different people who participate in our events. A person who's never done an event before is really nervous, needs very, very, very different experience to a championship runner who wants to shave 30 seconds off their PB for a marathon. So personalization is key. And a lot of that's wedded to data. And then equally our registration platform. So, you know, that's a key component for A, how charities engage with us in terms of how do they sign their runners up to their places? How do people engage and register for our events going back to keeping it simple? So we started that two years ago. I think we're close to, to sort of putting a green tick in every of those boxes that, okay, we've done the foundational stuff. COVID was a... A curveball for sure. Like half of our staff were furloughed, the, the half who weren't worked so hard. And it threw things like, okay, deferral systems, donate systems, refund systems, etc. But we've actually been asked that question a few times. Like, did, did COVID completely transform our digital transformation? Did it make us go much faster? I'd actually say probably not. I think we've been pretty consistent with what we do. And I think we're at a really exciting point now where we've got those foundational pieces in place. And the next year, two years is going to be far more visible about what are we doing and how, how are charities benefiting from us talking about a digital transformation? How are runners engaging in swimmers and cyclists? So I hope that is a decent overview of our digital transformation at London Marathon. Just, just picking up on that point, as, as Steve mentioned about our charities and our customers, because we have spoken to them about this digital transformation journey. You know, a lot of the, the customers that we've been working with in the charity space have been partners for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years in a lot of cases, they've 
been used to year after year working with the marathon and how different processes work. And of course, a lot of them processes through what Steve is talking about have been disrupted, changed, moved online, have to operate in a slightly different way. And so we've had to kind of communicate with them. And and, and part of that is kind of bring them along with the journey that we're on from a, from a transformation point of view, particularly when it comes with how do we interact with our charity customers, you know, Previously, a lot of it heavily relied on email. Of course, we all know that we all get millions of emails every day now. You know, we can't just rely on that as a as a channel to communicate with them. So, one of the things that we've done recently is for a selection of our customers is launched a an online customer hub essentially, which is built on top of the the CRM platform, which then displays relevant information to that customer. And already, I mean, we actually had something go out to them today, and already we're seeing the benefit of that because it's simpler for them to use. It means that they don't have to rely on one person getting this email. And of course, when charity fundraisers have, and a lot of changes gone on this year, that's really important to us that they're, they're getting the messages that we're pushing out. So yeah, it's exciting. It's interesting because it's kind of the reverse. And Stephen, I think having a, had a look at your, your background, you come from a financial services background and I, I used to work in an accountancy firm and the imperative there is kind of, well, look, if our customers aren't demanding change, and certainly not in that sort of interface and digital change, then we don't need to make the change either. Whereas this is much more on the front foot saying, we are going to change our processes, we are going to invest more in digital, and therefore we need you to, as our customers and our, our contacts, the people we're, we're talking to, to come along with us. It's kind of the reverse of what I saw in, in, in the corporate world. Yeah, I think um, another layer of like people's system process, right? It, one of those three things gets digital transformation. You can get digital tools by just putting the system in, but if our people don't use it, our customers don't use it, our processes don't reflect it, it won't work. I think equally to your point though, it's important to continually engage with customers because we spend so long planning what we want to do. We can prioritize things that may be important to us. And there is a balance between spending five years getting the foundations in place never doing anything particularly innovative or exciting. By the time you've got your foundations in place and you restart your foundations because the foundation what was good five years ago is completely different to today. And there's just that balance between, yeah, easy wins, short wins, whatever, doing something visible, both for people, for our staff. So you like digital transformation. It means different things for different organizations to different people to, yeah, making it sustainable. Us as an organization have grown organically 40 years old. We have several events. We manage those events quite siloed that we have historically. So we don't have a common platform. There's a lot of foundational stuff that enables those platforms. If we get that platform and the foundation right, it takes slightly longer, but we will be able to go so much faster with innovation, et cetera. And for me, data is massively important to that uh, as it's serving content, headless, you know, headless uh, platforms, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. And and so you've talked about bringing people along, which is, you know, a big reason why big digital transformation projects fail because you've not done that. One of the other aspects is leadership. And so it's great that you're there in a London Marathon events to, to, to sort of lead on that. But what kind of support do you get as well from the CEO, from the board of trustees? Are, are they all brought into this as, as well? Yeah, there's I'm wearing a shirt, which if you've met me before and I'm not wearing New Balance kit, that's pretty rare for me. And that's because we were with the trustees and the, the governors this morning. Yeah, I, they massively buy in. They see the strategic imperative, both from a data security perspective, but from an innovation and how people engage with the world, what Kenneth's saying. So, yeah, it's top down. We aren't, we aren't having to push to get some change. There is areas in our business where you have to do that. If someone's worked here 20, 25 years and that's the difficult stuff, getting the processes and how people work. But 
our top-down buying is is really positive and really strong. People work here because they buy into what we do, and that makes it a lot easier than doing it as just a job job, if that makes sense. And what about some of the barriers and opportunities you've encountered along the way? Can we ask a little bit about that? Because um, in, in some organisations, another blocker is where they come across a sort of a legacy customer where or legacy beneficiary, I guess, who sort of exists outside of that digital bubble. You know, it might be age, it might be access to a computer or a phone or whatever it might be that, that can't tap in. I'm imagining that you're the, the audience, the addressable audience for the London Marathon is one that's fairly technologically astute. So where are the, the barriers and where are the, the opportunities you're facing in the next, uh, the next year or so? I think barriers is our technical immaturity as an organisation. Certainly sort of two years ago, we probably had a few black boxes that, again, have grown with our organisation around our reg platform previously was a third, different third party. We didn't fully understand. I think, you know, it was just, it was very outsourced. You know, same as other areas of our business are quite outsourced and that's worked. But if we don't understand, at least understand how it works, we're going to struggle to be strategically defensible and innovate. So I think there's been a lot of learning the last two years. I think there's a challenge between worrying so much. This isn't unique, right? Worrying so much about, am I going to hit a dead end? Is this the right path for me to go down against that's the really easy thing to do short term, but I know it's a throwaway solution. You know, struggling, there's a thousand different ways to do digital and, and no ways particularly right. So often it's just a case of just choose one and we'll move down. But I look, you know, I, I see it from my lens, right? Like I'm responsible for delivering to internal teams to, to change our business, all that sort of stuff. It'd be really interesting, I guess, to hear from Kenneth, who's almost an internal customer around, you know, what's he perceived the, the challenges of our digital transformation to be. Yeah, I was just going to have a little anecdote then when I was at Marathon and uh, this year at the finish line, we had a, a digital gantry for one of the first times, which obviously displays our our sponsors. I think someone said to me, is that all Steve Foster's delivered this year? <laughs> <laughs> I take that, to be honest. I didn't <laughs> you know, digital transformation is obviously thrown around. I mean, I, I, think, I think from my perspective, because understanding that, you know, that we are one of the, the the largest departments in the organization the, the biggest amount of customers customers of all different sizes and shapes that that actually from a personal perspective i think coming from my history and, and other organizations i've been in that digital transformation for me was something to grab hold of and embrace very quickly and you know i think as soon as steve came in it was kind of knocking on his door as to say look we've got a number of projects very quickly that we can help sell your story and 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 help showcase the value that it brings because I think that's one of the the things just from my perspective is just the culture around transformation. And like I was mentioning my anecdote, you know, getting that understanding and, and getting people to, to embrace it rather than push against it is probably one of the biggest challenges that we've had. But I mean, Steve and I were, were talking this week about some, some other projects and actually it's amazing when certain departments and individuals start seeing the benefits of, of embracing and leaning into transformation, how quickly their views can change and how quickly that list of, oh, have we thought about this? Could we look at this? Could we look at this? And, you know, and it adds to Steve's workload. So, yeah, so I think from my perspective, it's been really great having Steve come in, owning this, getting the buy-in already from, from you know, the senior management and trustees and actually laying out a clear plan of where we're going over the next two years. Does it move quickly? Probably not as quickly as we would like it, probably not as quickly as our customers would like it. But because we know that we're on this journey and we can see what's coming next and we can understand it, I think it's, at least from my perspective and my teams, we're, we're bought in and, and happy to be, to be a part of it and see it moving on. 
It would be awkward if you said you weren't bought in. <laughs> yeah, can you just delete this bit out and then I'll just tell you the real view. <laughs> we'll go to the warts and all version of it. Yeah, actually, we, we didn't tell you, but we're bringing in somebody else to tell us the, the real story. <laughs> Probably give you the names of those people if you want them. <laughs> <laughs> Name and shame. Well, I mean, it's it's just interesting because uh, I'm sure Zoe is as well, but, you know, I'm working with organisations at the moment where, you know, that 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 message isn't as, as clear and transformation is is, is trying to, to, to happen within the organisation. But it's just, for me, it's always that communication piece. It's always that, conversation with beneficiaries but with employees as well and just really bringing it to life for them because you know I, I remember I was working for the financial services organization I was brought into into the marketing team sort of reorganization and went into a marketing team and when we swapped to our new CEO we had a marketing away day and the CEO came along to um, to speak to us and in all her wisdom at the time she decided to show us this video which was basically about how robots were going to take over the world. And so we're sitting there sort of really excited to be working under the new CEO. And then suddenly this video is telling us that, you know, all our jobs are going to be taken away. Everything's going to be automated. And, and we all sort of came away from that session going, hmm, you know, maybe we ought to reskill in other areas. But the reality of, of that, that vision that three or four years ago, might have five years ago or so, may have looked intimidating and slightly scary is still what a lot of people carry into into this this work digital world that's what they think and that's what they imagine is going to happen and and the reality is you know as we talk about your ambitions for next year the, the reality is those incremental steps those steps forward are much 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 slower than we all anticipate and it does move at the pace that is more realistic so it's that that sort of communication bubble within an organization is just so important to get right yeah, I think that expectations gap to kind of point on a digital gallery or people are saying, right, where's my new laptop? Because we're digitally transforming this organization. Now, it may mean that, but often it doesn't, right? And it's, it's hard. Like, it takes activation energy to change things. And I often liken it, and Kenneth and his team have often been the sort of um, pathfinders that it's almost like a horrible analogy coming up here, right? You're in the middle of a jungle and, and you have to cut a path to do something new digitally. But the benefit of it, it's really hard to do that first time. You, you'll make missteps. You'll take one step back, go three, three, one step forward, three steps back. But if you do that right and you try and take a view on where you're going long term, some other department or someone else can follow in that path. Now, they may have to do some tweaks and iterate, but it'll be easier the second time around. And then someone else will do something else and it'll be easier and easier. It's just, it is activation energy to get, to get going. And also not trying to do everything at once, you end up doing nothing. Like there's there's well-known, you know, project management, agile, throw that word, or, but agile means completely different things to different people. But yeah, it takes energy. And part of the energy is getting buy-in, which is why going back to us, the marathon gives our people energy. It's really, really important. Yeah, it's interesting. I think we've got another podcast episode coming up where we're going to delve into the, the need for change agents within organisations. And that change agent role is just, you know, yeah. I used to do it within within uh, Grant Thornton. It's just a it's a big ball of energy um, and you try to put it in the right direction. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. It sometimes can feel like, you know, 
two steps forward and four steps back, but you've just got to continue and continue and continue. I reached yeah. my limit when I got to the the third CEO I was working under. I thought, well, <laughs> I can't, I can't do it anymore. That's yeah, three, three's. Uh, what's the what's the phrase? Three's a charm or something? I don't know. Anyway, but I, I decided that that three was my my limit, and I couldn't, I couldn't push another CEO to to try and push it over the edge. But I think I think that's okay as well, right? There's skills for phases. There are different attributes with different phases of way rap. Some people just need to be like bludgeon your way to, to get it going. And then as you evolve and it rain, you finesse and maybe the skill set can be completely different. So I think mm-hmm. as a as a culture, we're not great at accepting that like, your skills may fit for a certain phase, but they may not work for the whole, whole thing. Some people can, but I think it's pretty rare. Yeah. So um the last question we had was about your digital ambitions for 2022. And, uh, you know, you've just sort of said you've got a short term lifespan within the organisation. What's, go- what's going on? What's going to be the big ambitions for 2022? I'm teasing, of course. But what are the, the digital ambitions for London Marathon events in 2022? We should have done this blind, right? Like Kenneth should say his, I should say mine. We should see how close we are. But um, Kenneth, you go first. Go on. Oh, I was waiting to hear yours, then I was going to piggyback on the back of them. Um, no, from from my perspective, so like some of the things that we've already touched on uh, is just really making that kind of digital ecosystem, if you like, for our customers and actually using that as one of the main channels to communicate through. Moving away from the the reliance on email, one of the big problems that we have in terms of working with a you know a long tail of charities of of all sizes, and I'm sure Paul Zoe, you you're familiar with this. You know, you might be working with. British Heart Foundation one day who are pretty well set up to understand systems, understand transformation. The next day we might be working with, you know, a, a volunteer led organization that doesn't have anyone dedicated to digital. So how can I build or develop a solution that works for both sides? And so for 2022, I think one of the main things is I want to get this, this charity portal hub, if you like, is, you know, our main kind of destination or channel to talk to our customers. And then there's a number of other things off the back of that. For example, we, we've actually already today sent some data out to, to 220 customers that has actually been delivered through that portal in the past that would have been delivered on a link through email and, you know, could have been hidden in someone's inbox. So we're definitely making step, steps forward, but I'm also, I think like we've touched on a, a little bit today is just the pace. I, you know, there's so many things that I would love to do that the team would like to do that our customers would would love us to do, but we just need to get them right. We need to test them, ensure they're working correctly, get the feedback, then we go again. So yeah, I think 2022 is all about that. And, and of course, from you know an events point of view, hybrid events are now here to stay. They offer a great opportunity for, for charities because you have the established brand of the London Marathon that is going to help when you're marketing these places. So we'll be continuing to talk to charities about digital hybrid versions of, of all of our events. And actually, we've made a commitment that going forward, we'll be looking at virtual events for our 10K, for our half marathon, probably for, for Ride London, which, which is coming up soon as well. So I think that's a, a new opportunity and yeah, something ex- exciting for the, for the year ahead. Yeah, no, for my tuppence within, like like I said, I think we've done a lot of foundational stuff. If you look at our customer journey, people consider doing our events or they consider you know working with us as a charity or a sponsor. They probably registered or they engage, etc. There's then a period they plan for the event. Now, as an individual, that may be training. You do the physical event as it used to be, and then there's a post-event period where there's playground stuff. I think if you were to track our experience as an organization, it's pretty poor up until the event where it's, it's amazing. It's astronomical. What we need to do is increase the experience and 
throughout my entire journey. Part of that is absolutely just, just really maximizing everything we have. So how do we use our data? How do we engage, train? How to make it easier for charities, larger charities who may have their own equivalent sort of participation management system to interact with ours so it's not a manual process? How do we split our customers? So yeah, the larger ones, the more sophisticated, we do tools for them against the smaller charities. What do they need? And like, how do we serve that in a way that's scalable? All be about the customer journey and making it as good as possible for as long as possible. Amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you so much to both of you, Kenneth. Thank you, Steve, uh, for coming on today. I think it's been really inspiring and fantastic to hear how you've how you've embraced all this change over the last 18 months and, and done something really fabulous with it that still preserves the amazing spirit and the uniqueness of what the marathon offers. And we will be keeping an eye out for all the different results as they come through but it sounds absolutely wonderful so thank you so much for sharing your stories here today no problem and maybe we can give paul his next um virtual event to take part in sign up for the marathon next year paul no pressure paul no pressure i did i did sign up for the the landmarks half but unfortunately um it didn't get into the didn't get in through the ballot i'm actually anticipating doing the um i grew up in hampshire and one of the big half marathons is the fleet half marathon always used to be quite well timed for the for the london marathon as a, as a sort of a practice event for peak runners so i think that might be the next one i think the the entry might be easier <laughs> might not be quite as much support or um, landmarks to see along the way but at least i'll see my mum <laughs> <laughs> it's always important it's always important Oh, lovely. Well, thank you so much to both of you. It's been wonderful hearing about your experiences and I know they will inspire lots of other charities. So thank you so much. Guys, thanks for having us. We enjoyed it. Thank you. So thank you to Kenneth and Stephen. Great interview and really, really impressive the the results they're getting. Such hard work that they're putting into um, making sure that the hybrid and traditional London Marathon come together and, uh, and work as well as they do. So brilliant, brilliant work from them. So thank you for listening to episode three of season four. We'll be back next week with another episode, which will be with the Centre for Countering Digital Hate. As usual, please do send us your feedback. We'd love to hear about anything that you feel that you will do differently after hearing from any of our speakers from the series. You can share your plans, ideas or questions with us on Twitter. We're at Starts at the Top 1 or you can email us at startsatthetoppodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much and we'll speak to you again next week. See you next week.